Well, we'll talk about this. And uh, Noah is going to operate the scripture for me in the back. It is on the Bibles that hopefully you didn't sit on. But if you did, there's a big bumpy thing underneath you. You should probably grab that. And also it's on the paper that was around there. And if you don't have a Bible, please take one of those. It's a gift. As a matter of fact, if you want it to really be a gift, one of us will sign a card for you. Does anybody have any cards? Next time. time. Save it until next time. We'll have cards for you. Uh, I think it's page 643 in the Tapestry Bibles. Is that right? Did I hear? Thank you. And in my Bible, it is not 643, and I did not mark it first. So... There we go. There's Ezekiel. It's to the right of that. There's Daniel. It's to the right of that. And there's Hosea. Okay. Uh, chapter 14. And we're going to read the entire 14th chapter. It's only nine verses long, though. So this is what it says. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with, your, with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously. That we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what, we, what our own hands have made. For in you the fatherless find compassion. I will heal their waywardness and, and love them freely. For my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. I will, he will blossom like a lily. Like a cedar of Lebanon, he will send down his roots and, and his young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree. His fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. Men will dwell again in his shade. He will flourish like the grain. He will blossom like a vine. And his fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. O oh, Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? I will answer him and care for him. I am like a green pine tree. Your fruitfulness comes from me. Who is wise? He will realize these things. Who is discerning? He will understand them. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them. But the rebellious stumble in them. So, let's talk through this a little bit. Let me make sure that I have my slides right. So that I hit the right thing. Whoops. There we go. Okay, so here's, this is what I want to focus on, okay? Uh, scripture is the best interpreter of itself. And so often we do something that I, I think is just terrible. We use the Bible like a cookbook. And we've talked about this before. You take a cookbook, you find a recipe, and that recipe has absolutely nothing to do with the other recipes other than it might be a part of a poultry division or a beef division or a vegan division or something like that. But that's about the only thing there. You don't have to read the first uh, recipe to understand the second recipe. You don't have to read the second recipe to understand the third recipe. And you don't get some bigger picture that makes your cooking better if you've read all the recipes. A recipe stands by itself. But scripture is story after story after story that builds together. And there's always this, this meta narrative that runs through it. And Hosea is a good example of that. If you remember... Those of you who've been here uh, while we've been talking about Hosea, the first three chapters tell the story that the remaining 11 chapters just come back to again and again and again and again. And that story is, is a story of a God and a husband in this case, because Hosea literally lives this out in his life, a God who loves his spouse tremendously, even though his spouse regularly cheats on him. For Hosea, 
His wife Gomer cheats on him by, by going out and finding other lovers to the point that she, she literally becomes a prostitute. For God, well, we are described as his spouse and we find other gods that we put our trust in. Sometimes those gods are us. Sometimes those gods are other things that we put our trust in, such as idols or, or our own resources, our own strengths. We say we belong to God, those of us who are Christians in the room. We say we belong to God and yet we act as though we belong to other gods. And, and what the Hebrews do consistently is this. They lather, rinse, and repeat. I always want to say rinse, lather, and repeat, and that makes no sense whatsoever. But they do it nonstop. It is, it is one of their primary teaching techniques. They repeat things over and over and over and over again. If we want to say something is amazingly good, we put an adjective in front of it like I just did. Actually, amazingly would be an adverb, wouldn't it? Somebody grammatical. Come on, help me. I, I see a head shake. Yeah. So we put an adverb, which I just called an adjective, but we do something like that. Something's very good. But they do... What they do instead is they repeat quite often. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is is um, Isaiah 6. And in it, the angels shout out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The re- repetition there is to go like, it's not just holy, but it's holy. It's not just holy, but it's holy. It's this way of increasing. And so teaching-wise, they're repeating over and over and over again. You guys may not suffer with this, but I always suffer with this, this mindset of I have to have something novel. You know, that I need something new and that's what's best. But when you really get down to it, the best lessons are the ones that are repeated over and over and over again. The professors, the teachers that I had, that I remember the most from, they, they taught really good stuff, but they also had real simple messages that they repeated over and over and over again. Well, what the rabbis are doing, and then in the New Testament, the teachers there are doing the same thing as they're repeating the same story. For, for the Jews, they're repeating the story of the Exodus where we were slaves, God saved us, and then we rejected him. Repeat. We were slaves, God saved us, we reject him. Repeat. Hosea does the same thing. And here, he's doing it again in the last chapter. And he's saying... Who is wise? Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand. And the problem with with cookbook religion is we can go, ha ha, who is wise? Let them hear this. And then so often we start putting in what the this is. We go, who is wise? Let them realize these things. And these are the things you should realize. And we start putting that in rather than allowing Scripture to go ahead and start pointing that out to us. And it does that here. Well, if we're going to talk about wisdom, we need an owl. Because owls are supposed to be wise. And also, my wife was a Chi Omega in college. And owls are their thing. And she just walked in. So therefore, I win bonus points by saying that. And that's good in life. But Scripture should interpret itself. Rather than us just picking a little part and going, Oh, I want it to mean this. And I see it far too often. Where people go, Hey, this is what this means right here. We should constantly be letting it do itself. And this whole chapter actually describes what is wise. Matter of fact, this verse says, who is wise? Let them remember these things. And then it explains what these things are. And then the whole chapter kind of expands upon that. So it says this. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them. But the rebellious stumble in them. And it says, remember this. The ways of the Lord are right. Therefore, if you're righteous, you walk in them. 
And, and if you're rebellious, they will cause you to stumble. And throughout Hosea, it's been saying what the way of the Lord is over and over and over and over again. So often we become so religious that we think the way of the Lord is this list of rules that you're supposed to follow. A good Christian does this. Somebody who is not a Christian does this. But that's not the reality of it. Scripture shows again and again, it gives us these illustrations of, of what faith is like. And we talk about this a fair amount here. In, in, not here. This is not tapestry. We are a tapestry. But on a Sunday evening, you should hear me typically say, Scripture refers to our relationship with God as two things. Hopefully, if I say this enough, I, I can actually say, what are those two, two types of things? And you're going to say the right things. So this is me taking a chance because if you say the wrong things, then I look like a fool because I'm not the one saying it probably. What does Scripture usually refer to our relationship uh, with God like? What are the metaphors that are typically used? A marriage relationship. So the relationship between two spouses and two good spouses. Okay, two good relationship or not two good relationships. Those would be different spouses, wouldn't they? A relationship with with two spouses that are building one another up and are becoming more of who they are because of their relationship. You you have probably seen really good relationships and really bad relationships. There are relationships that stick together that one party becomes less than because of the other party. And while God is so much more than we are, we become more of who we are because of our relationship with Him. So the first metaphor used again and again and again in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. When God tries to describe His love for us and the relationship we should have uh, with Him, it is that of two spouses passionately in love with each other, becoming more and more. You want a good example of that? Read the book of Solomon, the Song of Songs. To be completely honest, before I got married, I didn't read it very often because if you really let the text speak, it is very graphic. For us, it doesn't work a lot of times when when he goes, you know, my love's uh, neck is like the tower of so-and-so. I want to say Tower of Babel, but now it's not the Tower of Babel. That would be a bad thing. But I don't know about you guys, but when I told Pam her neck was like a tower, that was not a very positive thing. But it is really passionate. Does anybody remember the other other metaphor that usually works out when God is trying to describe his love for us? Yeah, a parent and a child over and over and over again. The way of the Lord is to recognize that and to walk in that. All of the commandments were supposed to help them walk as as two spouses loving one another, as a child who loves his or her parent. Those commandments were supposed to help on that. And what happened instead was the commandments became the focus because we do that same stupid stuff over and over and over again. I'll give you an easy one. Education is a good example of it. What is the purpose of education? Yes. But as students, those of us in the room who have been students or those of us in the room who are students, what is your primary thing? Are you trying to go, I just want to learn, I just want to learn. I just, you know, this class was so good because I learned so much. Or is there another goal that becomes want to get through or want to get the right grade? The grades are supposed to you know, help judge if you've learned enough and such at that time. But what ends up happening is, you know, I just want to get through and get my degree because the only thing that matters is the degree. And I can tell you, degrees are wonderful things. But when we start saying, hey, if I have this degree, it means I know this. No, it doesn't. If you have this degree, it means you pass those courses. That's all it means. 
So often we focus on the grades instead of the education. And that's what was happening there. And the commandments that were supposed to help them follow God were instead becoming checklists that if I do this, and they just never focused on the relationship. So, their attention went to the wrong thing. I'm about to show you something. Some of you are going to have seen this. And if you ruin this for everyone else, then you are a bad, bad, bad human being. Notice I said bad, bad, bad. That means very bad. So don't ruin this for anybody else. Watch this video. There we go. Watch it again. (laughs) Thank you for asking the appropriate question, Jody. Wait, didn't you say you saw, didn't you raise your hand and say, oh, I saw that. You saw, okay, I saw your hand thinking it was Jody's hand. Like, how, if you've seen this before, how do you miss the gorilla? All right, I love that. It is, it is an experiment in selective attention. Your attention is called to one thing, i.e., the people in white. How many passes? And some of you who hadn't seen it before were probably like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to succeed. I'm going to succeed. I'm going to succeed. I'm going to get it. And, and then... You know, Jody counts 16 when there's 15, but you know what? That's, that's a really good thing. Okay, just one. We get so focused on one thing that we miss the bigger picture. And yes, that was the exact same video. For those of you who've seen it before, when you knew, oh, this is coming up. The only thing you focus on anymore is, oh, the gorilla's about to walk through. Those of you who've seen it before, did anybody count the passes? Did you really? Okay. <laughs> Prove me wrong again. But did you still see the, the gorilla when you were counting? And did you get the right count? <laughs> Elliot, you are an impressive, impressive human being, okay? Wow. Okay. Guys, once I knew the gorilla was there, I no longer focused on anything else. I'm like, there's about to be a gorilla that walks into the middle of the picture and does this. <laughs> and that's all that matters. We develop this selective attention. And you do it naturally. It's a good thing. I.e., right now... Most of you are looking at me. Your eye is picking up all sorts of other stuff. But your, front, your brain focuses it on me because we could not handle all the information. It's a really good thing that can become so detrimental. In our faith, so often we focus on other things and we don't get the big picture. We focus on following God means doing these things. The old Southern thing is, I don't, uh, what is it? I don't smoke or chew. No, I don't drink or chew, smoke, drink or chew or go with girls that do is the old Southern way of saying things. And, and you know, those things, they can be helpful. I don't want any of you to get throat cancer because you smoked or chewed or anything like that. But the whole point is supposed to be about following And being in love with God. And we so often can focus so much on the rules that are supposed to help us. That we miss the bigger picture. One of my illustrations. Or one of the illustrations I love the most. Comes from a guy named John Piper. Where he talks about the things that you do in a relationship. And and I've used it before. Where if I give my wife flowers. In her case it's, uh, it's yellow tulips that she loves. Pink tulips she also loves. What she doesn't want are red roses. And she definitely doesn't want them on Valentine's Day because she thinks that's a sucker ho- a sucker's holiday. But, guys, if I just give her flowers and she says, why did you give me these flowers? And I say, 
because I am trying to be a good husband and, and a good husband is supposed to give his wife flowers every now and then, I have just completely ruined the action. I've taken it from a loving action and moved it away from that to it is just a checklist thing and it, it may be one of the most unloving things I could actually do uh, for Pam. Versus if I give her the flowers and she said, well, why do you give me these flowers? And I respond with, you love flowers and I love to make you happy. It's the same action. It's for a very different reason. And the focus is entirely different. One focus is checkbox relationship. The other focus is focused on the partner. And so often our faith, for those of us who are Christians, we focus on the doings and the don't doings. And we don't, I know, it's not a real word, but it came out. And we don't focus on following him. And what ends up happening is we, we begin to develop False gods, things that we put our trust in. The way that, that Isaiah in the 14th chapter describes it is he says this. Whoops, here, there we go. He, he says, Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you the fatherless find compassion. What they say is they, they turn to God and they reject these other things that they have put their trust in. They've put their trust in, in powerful nations. They have put their, their trust in powerful resources. And they have put their trust in things that they have made themselves. Literally what's said there, Assyria would have been the most powerful nation in the region. And, and a mounted war horse would have been the most powerful military tech, technology at the point. And literally saying, we won't trust in these other things, but instead... We will trust in you. And we do the same, same thing now. And so often you see people who are, are professing to be followers of Christ. And instead what they do is they, they put their trust in all these other things. I, I love the fact that, that God uses the relationship between a parent and a child over and over and over again to describe what is supposed to be true of our relationship with him. Because we all know that kids trust their parents in a good relationship and some of us in the room have not had good parental relationships but when you see a really good 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 trusting relationship it's an amazing thing because the kid trusts in their parent i can't tell you the number of times that my kids almost killed themselves because they trusted in me that didn't sound right either did it a few weeks ago, I, it's, many of you know that, that I am a duck hunter along with, with, uh, with Eric here. And the good news about being a duck hunter is it actually means I, I, I don't necessarily kill anything. I just go out and sit in the water. And that's pretty true. Um, but I am a, not so much a deer hunter, but I enjoy being around some of my friends who deer hunt. So I have actually borrowed, I don't know, Jody, if you know this, but I have one of your dad's guns that I borrowed. And I keep on thinking, oh, I'll get my own gun. I'll get my own gun eventually. And your dad keeps on saying, it's okay, it's okay. But he won't sell it to me. <laughs> because I need a scope, okay, because I'm not a very good shot. And um, this past year I've been looking for another gun. For a gun that I could put a scope on. And, and I'm too cheap to, to buy a new gun. I've been looking at used guns. And I went into a local gun shop. And when I say local, I mean central Wisconsin. That's a broad range. And uh, if you've ever been in MJs with me, you know this. I, I snoop on people's conversations. It's a pastoral trait. I'm terribly sorry. I'm, 
I'm not spying on you. It's just like today I was at MEJ's with my wife and there was somebody talking about Google Voice and I went, Google Voice, that's interesting. I know about that. And I went over and introduced myself to a bunch of strangers and we started talking about Google Voice. That's what happens. And I walked into a, a local gun shop and I overheard the following conversation. And it was, you know, the only way my daughter can go to sleep is with her loaded twenty two uh, beside her bed. And a lot of people would say that I was some type of gun nut for allowing my eight-year-old daughter to have a loaded gun beside her bed. But it's the only way she can go to sleep. And I've trained her so I know that she knows exactly how to handle the gun. And you know what? I put my foot down and I said that she had to have a flashlight on the barrel of the gun so she could identify whatever she was going to shoot. Now, I don't say this is an anti-gun thing. I just told you I was looking for a gun. This is what I want to point out. That's not this. Those of us in the room who've had had eight-year-olds, you know that in a good situation, they trust you. What concerned me was that some eight-year-old girl doesn't trust her parents enough to go to sleep in a room without a loaded pistol beside her. That apparently this eight-year-old girl, and I know nothing else about them. They could be wonderful things. And it could have been a fictional story. He could have been saying, hey, this is the short story that I'm writing. I just want to tell you about it. And I just heard that one thing, okay? So I'm not trying to judge him. I don't know him. I'm just going off the story I heard. But uh, it scares me that an eight-year-old girl would think, when it comes down to it, if somebody breaks into the house, the only thing I can trust is me and my loaded twenty-two. It's not the way it's supposed to be. This is the way it's supposed to be. Where we trust in God so much that we go, He's got my back and therefore I can just do anything. To be those crazy, crazy kids who run and jump off things and go, Hey dad, catch! In the midst of their dad doing something else. Because they trust their dad that much. Or to be the person who sees their mom cooking and just starts running, not ever thinking of, I might trip and go into the the flames um, and instead just because my mom will protect me. That goes, hey, I can just depend on my mom to help me do my homework because she's smart. That's that amazing type of trust that is what's supposed to happen. And what Israel had been doing again and again and again was they had been putting their trust in powerful nations, powerful technology, their own skills. And the reality is, quite often, we do the exact same thing. We just have such selective vision that we don't see where we do it. We see where other people do it. That's what that other photo was for just a second ago. Matter of fact, I'll go back to it. Jesus tells this story about seeing you know, the speck in other people's eyes when we have a huge log in our own. See, we're really good at seeing where other people fail to trust in Him, where other people have errors in their life, and we're really terrible at seeing our own false gods that we develop. Things that we put our trust in rather than trusting in God completely. Jesus tells a story of, of one individual. Actually, two individuals. Let me change it. This is not a true story. This is a parable. But you may have met people like this. It's called the the story of the the, uh, Pharisee and the publican. This is what it says. It says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. 
The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. See, God wants us to be looking at our own selves and saying, am I trusting him or am I putting my trust in other things? Am I following him or am I following other things? Am I in love with him or am I in love with other things? And there are so many things that call out for our trust. And there are so many things that we go, oh, this won't take away from my trust in God. This won't take away from my trust in God. But the heroes of our faith, the ones that we look to are people who said, I will trust in God alone. The, the Eastern Church, our, our brothers in, in basically in what was known as the Greek-speaking world at the time, Eastern Orthodoxy, all of the Orthodox Church, they took this story and they made a prayer out of it that is the most common prayer that they pray. It's called the Jesus Prayer, but it says this, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, the sinner. And when you're praying that, when you're, you're saying, God, have mercy on me, the sinner, it changes the way we approach other people, but it also changes the way we, we trust. Because we don't trust in our own actions at that time because we, we view our own actions as only good through God. Rather than, isn't God lucky to have me? We go, aren't I lucky to have God? And it doesn't mean you're a terrible person, okay? If God proclaims you holy, no one else, including yourself, should look at you and consider yourself trash. He claims you as his child if you were a follower of him. He claims you as his spouse if you were a follower of him. And he never looks at you and goes, you're just trash. But when we look at ourselves, we begin to recognize all that I have to trust in is him. But it's so easy to forget that. So I'm going to give you an example of, of, of complete trust in my opinion. And I... Actually, many of you have met this individual. This is my friend Bart. Um, some of you met him. He came here one time, and uh, Bart is he's, hes a really good friend of mine. I call him all the time. Uh, but Bart's legally blind. He wasn't uh, born legally blind. He has a thing called macular degeneration, basically scar tissue that's forming in the center of his eye. Uh, if he were to meet you, he can see you, but he sees you out of his peripheral vision. Uh, real quick, if you want to try try not not seeing what you actually can focus on, but instead see what you see here. Like I can tell that Devin, who I know is right here, is dressed in black. I don't know why. Maybe he's dressed like Johnny Cash for all I know. Uh, you're dressed like Johnny Cash. <laughs> see, I see pretty good. But here's the trust. His Did you just snort? <laughs> she snorted. Okay, this is his dog who... My family loves, her name's Yoshi, and, and we always tell Bart whenever we see him that we love seeing him, but we're always worried that we might enjoy seeing Yoshi better. Yoshi's just amazing. If you ever spend time around a working dog, you just know how incredible they are. And if you actually spend time around a working dog, you know you can't pet them when they're working. So you're desperate for their harness to be pulled off. Because Yoshi goes from working dog, everything is just serious business. 
and then goes into puppy mode when her, her leash, or her, not leash, excuse me, when her harness is taken out. It's incredible. Bart completely trusts in Yoshi. Just amazing trust in Yoshi. He knows that she will never let him down. I actually went to uh, to uh, Chicago one time to be with him. And to be completely honest, I went there because I was worried about uh, Bart walking around in Chicago by himself and trying to do public transportation. And that was so stupid on my part. I mean, it was great that I went because I love, love Bart and I got to spend time with him. Um, but it was so stupid on my part because Yoshi would never allow anything bad to happen to Bart. It's even to the point of she was attacked by another dog once while she was working. And do you know what she did? She kept walking with Bart. She wouldn't even protect herself because she said, my job is to protect him. He trusts in me completely and I cannot betray that trust. That's what complete trust looks like. And God, he does that. He's worthy of that. So I mentioned the speck in the log. It it is time for a little bit of navel gazing. Robin, you make me happy because you know I look for photos that I'm like, I want them to remember. And here's the thing. We need to spend time searching. And I know it's a little freaky. Isn't it? It's like, okay. <laughs> That's, I, can, I can go ahead and tell you this. There were some freakier images. You want to be freaked out. Navel gazing, if you search for it, there are several where, where the belly button is. There's an eye sticking out. That's really disturbing. So I was nice to you. I want you to spend time navel gazing. See, we should always come back and, and when we hear the message, we should, we should do what, what I've mentioned that Saran Kierkegaard talks about before, that when we read the Bible, we should always be saying, that's talking about me. It's talking about me. It's so easy for, for us to go, oh, other people should trust in God. Other people should, should crush their idols and their false gods. But the reality is, it always has to start with us. Yes, we should point out where, where others are, are not following God. That is, that is a good thing to do. But you do that maybe once for every four times that you come back and say, I need to be crushing my false idols. So often what happens instead is we, we point out other people's failures rather than looking at our own. If we're looking at our own, we're going to approach other people's failures with great humility. We're going to approach other people's sin with great humility. And that doesn't mean that we'll never point it out. It means we will point it out with kindness and humility and with a mindset of, I am trying to point out what's best for you. So here's the navel gazing I would like to invite you to do. What is it that you are tempted to trust in more than God? See, so often we think of false idols as these, these things that people built and, and they bow down to and worship. But your God is what you declare is worthy. That's all that worship means. It is what you sacrifice for and serve. And it's what you trust in. And there are plenty of people who proclaim that they are followers of Christ who put their trust in all sorts of false gods. And there are plenty of churches that say we are the community of Jesus and put their trust in all sorts of things that have nothing to do with Jesus. That doesn't mean that when you trust in God fully that you're going to go and become a monk 
You may be a businessman, you may be a teacher, you may be a businesswoman, you may be a professor, you might be a student. It means you're going to do it with trust in God and that enables Him to take what you do every day and do absolutely extraordinary things through it. Because if we trust in Him, everything becomes a tool to be used for His glory and His love and His goodness. If we trust in false gods, they become what's most important. So before I end, does anybody have anything that needs to be added? Then, I'll leave you with another owl thing. I invite you to be wise. I'll give you a second. I thought it was funny. I invite you to be wise. I, I invite you to search yourself and know yourself. And more importantly, ask God to search yourself and know yourself. I love the fact that everybody with a beard is like, yes, I am wise. <laughs> I've already seen several people do that. It's kind of funny. Be a navel gazer. Look and see if there's something you trust in more than God. And it doesn't mean that you have to destroy that means you need to destroy your trust in it. Let's pray and let's sing to the one who is worthy. Join me in prayer, please. Father, help us to trust in you fully. Help us to be wise and know that your way is is righteous and that if we don't follow you, it will cause us to stumble. Help us not to trust in great nations or great technology or in our own ability to make things. But help us to trust in you as loyal spouses, as grateful children. Help us to trust in you in such a way that we know that you have our back and you will use us to do great things. I pray this in your son's name, who, who not only enables us to trust in you, but he showed us what it looks like when we do trust in you. So I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Please, let's sing together.